Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop. I want to invite you to join us at our next workshop coming up June 8th through the 10th in Texas in the peaceful Rolling Hill Country. So call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY. That's 1-800-497-8748 or visit gatewaymen.com. You're listening to Pure Sex Radio, training men, educating women. Brought to you by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us on the web at puresexradio.com. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan, and uh, I've got a friend here that it's been a long, long time since he has been on the program with us. Uh, David Zaylor is actually a buddy from California, and uh, even though I'm a Texas guy, we don't hold that against him. So we're glad that he's here. So David, thank you for being with us. Hey, don't don't forget, I was I'm uh, born and bred Texas. I've been away for a while, but coming home is always a homecoming. So it's great to be here. That's true. Well, we're going to get into something that I really am excited to talk about. But before we do that, we like to let our listeners know every now and then that we are a listener-supported po- broadcast, which means that the only way you're hearing us or seeing us is because we've had uh, generous partners that have come alongside and said they want to um, support this ministry. And just to let the listeners know, what's amazing is that for the 12 years in the existence of this uh, podcast, we've been a ministry for 15 years, but mm-hmm. for 12 years we've been doing the podcast. Uh, believe it or not, we have been in the black on our expenses every year well, in the podcast. So I just want to thank the listeners because we can't do that without you. So thank you for for partnering. And if you're a new listener and you'd like to partner with us, just go to puresexradio.com and click on the donate button and you can learn more about how to come alongside and partner with us. Well, David, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because you know, we affectionately refer to you at our ministry as the twelve-step guy. Oh, okay. you know, and uh, and don't worry, it's not well, a derogatory well, term I've, or anything. I've heard a lot worse. <laughs> but the reason I wanted to talk to you is because, um, you know, I think there are a lot of people in the church even that have this hesitancy right. around twelve-step. And the and the one, reason I want to talk to you is because my the second edition of my grace-based recovery book is coming out later this summer, mm-hmm. and. There is this, as I was writing it, I realized when I'm trying to talk about a grace-based environment versus a performance-based environment, a lot of people, especially in the church, immediately jump to this conclusion that says, you know, because it seems like there's a lot of really, um, if I can put it this way, there's rigidity to the 12-step. It's like you just do this and then this and then this and then this, and you go from this step to this step to this step to this step. That some people might think there's no possibility for grace to be part of that process. Mm-hmm. So why don't you first of all just give a little bit of your history briefly to let people know just even what 
the 12-step process did for your own life, and then maybe we can get into this idea of not seeing these things as pitted against one another, a 12-step process and the grace-based approach. Well, my my personal um, uh, story about recovery in the 12 steps is that I, I entered into the 12-step process because I was encouraged to do so. I was in trouble in my life. Um, I, I just did what I was told to do. Um, I really had no intention of experiencing any kind of transformation because I didn't know what that would look like. Mm-hmm. The only life I had ever known was the life that I had, and it wasn't a good one, but it was all that I had. So my natural instinct was to hang on to that tenaciously because without that life, I had no life. Um, but my sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and by the way, I came to know Christ through the influence of Alcoholics Anonymous, even though I had grown up going to church all my life. Mm. Um, I had grown up uh, knowing Jesus from this kind of storybook theological, let me tell you how to get your life together kind of way, a preaching kind of way, as opposed to a presence, mm-hmm. as opposed to a relationship. Either way... It's, Which, by the way, is not terribly uncommon for a lot of people's experience in the church, right? Yeah, sadly. I think a lot of the confusion comes when um, when people look at the 12 steps from an outsider's perspective, and they look at it from uh, kind of this critical, I want nothing to do with you perspective because you sound different. The terminology is different. It looks and feels different than what my preacher has told me all my life. And so if it feels different, it can't be good. I think that's often the assumption. And I think sometimes people make the assumption, and I don't want to get too far ahead here, but I think then sometimes people have so much trouble with just those first few steps because it's like, wait, you can't be, do not be ambiguous about the higher power. Right. You know what I mean? So. You know, and that makes Christians nervous. Let's just be honest. Right, but the thing is, I think Christians have to come to look ter- terms with something here, that they can have excellent theology, but have a very practically applied atheism about their life, mm-hmm. and the fact that they can say one thing and confess or profess something and confess something, but it doesn't play out in the reality of their life. Um, and so God, Jesus, is essentially no higher power. Mm. In the practicality of how they're yeah, living. That's, yeah, exactly. So the point of the 12-step use of terms of God as we understand him is uh, God is, is not, at its most practical level, God is not a theological term. It's a relational term. Mm-hmm. And either God is God or he's just some religious mumbo-jumbo that you're talking about. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So, so obviously 12-step was hugely impactful in you even coming to understand a the if i can put it this way the person of jesus christ not just the idea of jesus christ and then from that um how did you begin to understand how to especially when you then started getting into ministry and using the 12 step process as your 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 tool so to speak right how did you begin to help others to maybe have that same kind of encounter through that process to where it wasn't something where it's like, again, and we're going to get into hopefully helping the listeners who maybe have this under, this idea that, listen, 12-step is sort of devoid of really 
spiritual things and 12 step is just kind of rigid rule keeping and 12 step is just performance based. Um, How have you helped others to maybe see that, that uh, they too can find this relational presence with the Lord? Well, over the years, I, I, uh, uh, my, the first and foremost way that I, that I've used uh, where 12 steps have been, uh, I've been able to make them helpful to others is by, continuing to live out the principles myself on a on a daily regular basis um, the 12 steps uh, are what's commonly referred to as a spiritual program of action mm-hmm. and it's the action step that really uh, gives the uh, breadth and the authenticity to our spiritual faith um, step one steps one through three result in a cognitive reframing uh, to help us understand that, at least in certain areas of my life, I'm out of control. And me, myself, and I, we are hopeless to get this area of my life in control. And step two is, but I believe that God can bring me to sanity, can restore me, can bring health back to me. Now, that's, that's a challenging belief. On the one hand, there's hope there, but also on, on the other hand, there, there's a admission that, you know, I'm just not out of control, but I'm sick mm-hmm. and I can't heal myself. Someone greater than me is going to have to do that. Now, there are lots of higher powers. Of course, there's God, the ultimate higher power, but doctors, therapists, support groups, friends, mentors, our churches, our recovery fellowships, these are all essentially higher powers because they can do things for us that we can't do for ourselves. Step three is where we make the decision. What do I want? Do I want to remain in this isolated, trying to pull my bootstraps a little bit harder to get my life together? Or am I willing to trust God and and some other people to help heal me? So what do I want? It's the decision. Steps four through nine are commonly referred to as the action steps. They're essentially spiritual disciplines. They're really disciplines that are pulled out of the desert fathers of Christian tradition where we get honest with ourselves, honest with other people, and honest with God. And so it's it's a transformation of relationships, mm-hmm. because I'm not going to be honest with God if I can't be honest with myself. Now, I can talk all about that, but it's it, there's a transparency here with myself and with God and with you. For, you know, as friends and recovery partners and as ministry partners, we know things about each other that that not everybody else knows, and we trust one another in that. Mm-hmm. There, there's a great, and that there's freedom in that. Steps 10, 11, and 12 of the 12 steps are really, these are the ongoing spiritual practices. Some people call them the maintenance steps. I don't refer to them as maintenance steps because I don't think, I don't think spiritual growth has anything to do with maintenance. Yeah, that's maintenance is like keep things as they are, it's, right? It's the oil change, right? No, <laughs> growth is you're moving forward. Growth right? is you're moving forward. It's 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 taking these most elemental spiritual practices and principles for life change and human health, and applying them to your life on a daily basis. I would almost, and maybe maybe there are others that refer to it this way, but I would almost refer to those last steps as the legacy steps. Yeah. Because really what you're doing is you're seeking to regenerate this in other people. You're seeking to pass this along and not... Well, you know, that's true. Um, I found in my experience that the passing along is something that happens naturally. And 
my but my intention really has to do with uh, the day-to-day care of my own spiritual condition because while I don't look at pornography anymore and while I'm not out chasing and sleeping with a bunch of women anymore I'm every bit as much of a sinner today as I've ever been mm-hmm. and I, I this is one of the this is one of the most essential aspects I think in recovery and, it, and its natural outgrowth of a of a 12-step process is to see how God heals us in these areas of addiction and and brokenness that we could say and yet at the same time I've come to appreciate and come to terms with and even learn to value my the fact that I'm a sinner mm-hmm. and that drives me compels me and it even calls me to an ever closer relationship with God that is a great I think transition to now start talking about grace because what you just said yeah. is what grace is all about yeah. see I think I think where we str- where we have a problem uh, in the church sometimes is that we have this we front load the gospel to a person with grace right but we back load it oh yeah with works and performance yeah and what you're saying is actually you know what the the more i'm actually in the presence of god the more i'm in this relationship the more i actually realize how, how sinful i really how am pathetic so i can be so it's <laughs> like and so what does that mean then the longer i'm in this relationship the more i actually realize and appreciate grace yeah and i think of it when when i think of paul the apostle when he wrote romans that was 25 years right. after his conversion right. and in romans 7 he talks about all this present tense language with his struggle yes. with sin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the things i don't want to do i keep on doing right you know sin is always with me right. And he's rec- and then he's like, who will rescue me from you know wretched man that I am? I mean, right. but his conclusion is the same that he had at the beginning of his right. walk, which was Jesus Christ. So, what would you say to the listener out there that is really struggling with this idea of wanting to to toss out twelve step, you know, kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, in the sense that I can't see the possibility of God's grace being part of that process? Right. How would you help that person maybe? understand that better that that that's not the way it has to be right well i, I think that whether whether it's a the 12 step disciplines if you will mm-hmm. um the 12 step journey if if it it cannot be done in a void and just because you're around a bunch of other people does not mean that you're not in a void one of the crisis i think in christian culture uh in kind of our churchianity and you spoke about it, how we kind of front load the gospel message with grace to kind of get them in the door, to get them to straighten up and where, you know, talk right and walk right. Or just right. to trust Christ, trust right? Trust Christ, mm-hmm. yeah, and get them to whatever it is, sign the card or sign up for the new believers class or whatever. And then, you know, um, okay, now God's redeemed you. Now continue to live like that and you know stay straightened up yeah don't screw up anymore that's right and you know <laughs> stay flying right mm-hmm. i mean i think mo- many of us have actually heard people say almost those exact words to us and we go okay yeah 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 this time i'll really stay on track and in the back of our heads we kind of feel the click of the hammer of the gun pulling pulling back like <clears throat> i'm getting ready to shoot myself in the foot again mm-hmm. um and then how safe is that environment when we do safe. fail right 
to the, that's where then I think shame takes over, right? Because right. then we go, wait a second, I have the assumption that this wonderful grace of God that brings me into this relationship with this person, Jesus Christ, is now going to solve everything and I don't right. have any more problems. I'm never going to fail again. Right. And so if that's the assumption or the, the paradigm that's being created in that environment, right. when, not if, but when you do fail, right. who do you go to? Right. Who? Well, I love to go to, in fact, my world is full of people who are well-practiced failures. Yeah. I always tell people. <laughs> I feel best around them. <laughs> I joke with some of the guys in, when we do our workshops and things like that. I'm like, why are we so afraid of failure? We're great at it. Yeah. So I think we're afraid of success. I think we're actually afraid of succeeding because that's, so, that's more well, unfamiliar to us. But not only us. that, but failure is the preparation. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the preparation to, to, that teaches me um, and gives me the understanding so that when successes are developed, that's God in me. Yeah. That's the hope of glory. Yeah, because then when there are successes, you know who to actually give the credit to, That's right? That's exactly right. And it's right. Yeah. Well, and you know, and back to your back to your question on uh, on the twelve step practice, I, I think people you know, if if we if we look at the twelve steps from an outsider's perspective, um, or just you know, from this position of being locked in a void, um if it just uh, because the language is different, and face it, we don't like language that doesn't sound familiar. Mm -hmm. I think one of the toxic things about the churchianity bubble is that we kind of learn to to speak a language, so we're just run a bunch of parrots that are running around parroting what the preacher said. Right. Uh, that we have to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to learn a different language, and also learn to rub some shoulders with some people who learned who experienced the grace of God from a from a different perspective and in a different way. Mm -hmm. Now, as a recovering alcoholic who's been so greatly benefited by the 12-step programs, the 12-step programs, one of their traditions is that no single individual is a spokesperson for them. So I, I just want to say that I'm not qualified to be a spokesperson for any of the 12-step programs. But one of the great traditions, for example, Alcoholics Anonymous is the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. It's not like you can come in and, okay, you've got to finish, you got to be sober and quit drinking by the, the end of your first three or four meetings. Um, and uh, there's a huge grace there in the fact that you are included, you're welcome, you come sit next to me if you just want to get sober. You don't even have to be sober. Right. I don't know of anywhere in Scripture where Jesus says, um, okay, come follow me and leave all your sins behind because if you don't, that you know, you're not welcomed anymore. He says, come to me and take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. Mm -hmm. And it's in the teaching and it's the walking beside and it's been, it's, it's sharing the lighter side of the yoke, of the yoke and Jesus carrying the, the more burdensome, the, the heavier side of the yoke that I learned how to walk. Yeah, and it's interesting to me because when you think about recovery, we, we oftentimes, not in most recovery environments, we want to talk about accountability, right? Right. And so many times I think Christians jump so quickly to all those passages in scriptures that talk about, well, how do you correct? How do you rebuke? And, and all oh, these kinds of it. things. Yeah. That then we forget that in this process, it's not, um, that is, we, we miss then the passages where 
you know, Peter comes and he's feeling so good about himself when he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my my brother, you know, seven? <laughs> and he's thinking, wow, you know, I I doubled the, the normal mm-hmm. standard and added one, right. you know, because it was normally three. Right. And Jesus says, no, I tell you seven times 70 or, you know, just he was being limitless, exaggerate, you know. Right. And we forget those passages. Right. When it's, because that speaks right. to what you're talking about. I have had many people, even in our programs and stuff, that will that will make these judgments of somebody where they second guess them because they're like, you know what? I don't think this person really wants help. They they come back. They keep coming back to group. They say they want help, but and that may but, be true. And it could be true. Right. But I really believe that our demeanor is still meant to be like, listen, if you're here in right. this moment and you have a desire in this moment right. to get better, then guess what? In this moment, we're going to help you with well, that. And that's grace, right? That is grace. That is well, grace. And I would take it from kind of an administrative point in, these, in what we would call a recovery group or a support group. In Operation Integrity, we don't even use the word leader. You know what? What am I? Uh, who am I? To, who am I qualified to lead? In fact, if you receive, if if I'm helping you, then guess what? I'm doing it for my sake. I get more from helping you. Uh, and whatever help you get from my help, that's that's between you and God. The value of helping someone else is the fact that it it helps keep me spiritually grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, I and listen, Jonathan, your your friendship to me empowers me. So I'll go out on a limb here. I'm not a big fan of the certainly the evangelical conversation of accountability. I think it's I think it's. But, I think it's backwards. Accountability without encouragement first is the home of the Pharisees. Yeah. And where we go around being policed for one another. Now, my years of being in, kind of in and out in church as an adult, in, in fact, before I got sober, the last few years of me going to church, I was being dragged to church by my stripper girlfriend because she wanted me to straighten up. Mm-hmm. And I got into a Friday Bible study where men were going to hold me accountable, and I would tell them the truth about my life. And they would look at me with cross-eyed and like, hmm. And I, and I, and I would want to say to them, so you're going to hold me accountable? What are you going to do? Spank me? Right. You're going to tell my mother? I mean, report me? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there was something there that was like, okay, it was powerless to help me. And at the shame level, it really just incited me to lie. Right. But in the 12-step programs where, you know, it's one struggling addict helping another struggling addict, um, then that is literally the place where the ground is level at the cross. Mm-hmm. And so— And, all the th- and, and I, one of the things that I wanted to say about accountability, too, is that um, when you think about what the Bible says about correcting— Right. and rebuking, mm-hmm. all of that is couched within the understanding that there's already an existing vibrant relationship. Yes. And what we've done is we've sort of extracted some of those ideas of accountability mm-hmm. and put them sometimes into environments where the relationship hasn't been established yet. Well, it's almost like an administrative level. Yeah, so it's kind of like this is this is most people's understanding of accountability, and this is where I think we start to stray away from grace. Mm-hmm is where we basically tell a guy, listen, you need accountability in your life. And so he goes, well, let me let me try to find maybe the most 
mature Christian I can think of, at least in my view. And let me go ask them to meet with me. I don't really know them. Right. Some guy at my church, maybe go talk to an elder at the church, you know. And so he's he's gracious, at least in his response, to say, yeah, I'll have lunch with you on Thursday. And so we start meeting on Thursdays. I don't know this guy at all. I don't even know what his mm-hmm. you know wife's name is. I don't know mm-hmm. anything about him. But I'm supposed to unload all my crap onto the table in front of him. And somehow accountability is supposed to work mm-hmm. without the undergirding of relationship. Right. Right. And it's like, I actually want to hear, this is a little bit of a sidebar kind of conversation, but I want the listeners to hear that that it's, you cannot have real accountability. You, you, you don't have the right to speak terms of accountability mm-hmm. into another person's life if you don't first have mm-hmm. the relationship. Right. And so I think that's important to at least say because it's not, again, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater saying, there's no type of accountability right. in in recovery or anything like that. But the way we go about it, we've got it upside down. Well, and I think the... Because I hear what you're saying right. in the sense that, you know, what are you supposed to do, spank me? We, sometimes we don't know what the <laughs> process looks like. <laughs> but, it, it, uh, but I think it is important to realize that if we do have a relationship, we know each other, we're doing life right. alongside right. one another, and... I see you heading for the cliff. Right. I see patterns in your life. Right. Then I am actually obligated as your brother in Christ to come alongside in a way of gentleness, but also directness and right. say, hey, David, listen, man, I'm seeing some things and I want to share them with you and I need to see if you're seeing them Is too. That's why I'm here, by the way. And, no. <laughs> yeah. We'll do that off, uh, we'll off, do that off, off camera. Off, off mic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you're. I hear you speak to the essential aspect of credibility. And um, as, I, as I work with other folks and as we, uh, as we equip people in Operation Integrity, um, it's, you know, the, the training has to do with helping people find their footpath mm-hmm. and stay loyal to the footpath that God is guiding them on. If they stay loyal on their own footpath, they will be infinitely helpful to countless numbers of other people. Mm-hmm. If they if they lose sight of the fact that their essential their process is most essential to them, then their ability to help others starts withering very quickly. And this is really this is one of the strengths I believe of the twelve step process is that it leads to process. If people think in terms of product then it's now some sort of commercialized endeavor and right. the human experience gets trampled. And also then it becomes just a test to pass. Exactly. Right? I've, I've passed the program. It's, it's, the, passed the... it's the box boxes that have to be checked. And that's what that's again, circling all the way back around to the beginning. That's how I think a lot of Christians view the 12 steps is I've checked off step one. I've checked off step two. I've checked off step and like you're done with it. So, I, I, I well, still, let, me, let me speak yeah. to that. That's because that's what they know in their own life. And mm-hmm. that's what we've taught in the Americanized um, kind of entrepreneurial churchianity. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, as, as you know, uh, as my friend and ministry partner, I'm not a church insider, and I don't mean to be offending people. And I, I work with churches, and some of my dearest friends are clergy. And 
but kind of it's the church kowtows to the American consumerism because we want people to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, butts and seats. Right? Butts and yeah. seats, and so you have to put on the show, whether it's the right kind of sermon, the right kind of you know uh, building and ambiance, the right kind of music, and the programs. And we have uh, the six week evangelism class, and we have the six you know the twelve week you know uh, get your finances in order class. We have you know the apologetics class, and so really our 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 Christian training is not about life process. It's not about life journey. It's about being a community college uh, labeled for Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's evil. And boy, I'm kind of, I hope I'm not running your podcast here, but um, the issues of addiction, especially in the areas of the most intimate areas of our lives related to our sexuality. And I believe that when it comes to addiction, probably in our culture, food addictions are probably the most prevalent and sexual addictions are right behind it. Mm -hmm. And these are connected to our most essential aspects of human beings because they're not outside of ourselves. As an alcoholic, the day I quit drinking, I started to get better. Now, the day I quit looking at porn doesn't mean that I'm healing in all the areas of my sexual woundedness. Because I, because my sexuality is bigger than just the pornography or the, right. or the girl chasing, it's who I am. Yeah. And so, the calling is not to a product; um, it's to the process. And so, then to to wrap up here, we're almost out of time. How would you then say grace integrates into that process? Right. Well, there, there's a great saying that I had never heard in church before, but I heard it in the 12 Step programs. God will do for me what I cannot do for myself. Now, there's a flip side to that, is that God's not going to do for me what I must do for myself. I have to be willing to put myself in places where other people are involved in the specific recovery process that I'm in most need. Mm-hmm. Now, if our church if our churches, if one's particular church has essentially a grace-based program, and I'm always a promoter of the 12-step process to help me face my addiction to porn and to really to my own sexual sexuality, um, then great. If not, go find the place and get yourself involved. And in smaller markets, sometimes you have to do it through an online and listen to podcasts, but start connecting with other people in the process where they are simply putting one foot in front of the other, putting themselves in the place where the grace of God rains down. Mm -hmm. So we're out of time, but why don't you tell the listeners uh, about your ministry, how they can get connected and and that. Operationintegrity.org is the website. Uh, We're actually working on a new one, but uh, the old one's still up and running. Uh, My book on this subject is When Lost Men Come Home, Not for Men Only. Um, this is not a man's issue. Yeah. One of the things that we do that's toxic in the Christian culture. It's a human issue, right? It's a human issue is we label this a man's issue and it's, you know what, it's, uh, that's insulting to both men and women. Um, this is a human issue. So it's when lost men come home, not for men only. I have a couple of other books out on the market. You can get them at any of the, you know, get them at any of the bookstores or online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, whatever. Yeah. Well, thank you, David. Thank you. uh, Yeah, we're going to put all that stuff up on our website so that you guys can have access to it. But thank you, listeners, also for being with us. And we'll see you back here again next time. Have a great week. Thank you so much.
Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.